This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. Otago Access Radio, in partnership with Otago Polytech, brings you Blowing Bubbles. Blowing Bubbles brings you positive conversations with people in their bubbles around the world. How are people living their bubble lives? Working from home, keeping kids entertained, and staying connected and getting exercise. And how are these things presenting us with the opportunities to find new ways of living? Every weekday, the Sustainable Lens team of Samuel Mann, Shan Gallagher and Mara Karatai reach out from their bubbles to chat with interesting and positive people around the world. Broadcast on Otago Access Radio 105.4 FM and streamed and podcast on oar.org.nz and sustainablelens.org. Bringing connection, joy, kindness and peace in the days ahead. Welcome to Blowing Bubbles, positive conversations with people in their bubbles, their safe spaces around the world. I'm Samuel Mann. I'm not in Soyuz Bay to Dunedin today because I am at Otago Polytechnic Dunedin at Capable New Zealand in the echo room of what used to be the Wool Exchange. And I am with Andy Kilsby. Hi, Sam. Nice to be here. Kira, Andy. How was your bubble life? Um, bubble life has been quite instructional, really, I think. I think there's been much that we've learned um, as a household and as a community, but uh, my bubble life has been pretty good. You're in Dunedin today, but you're normally in Cromwell. Cromwell, yeah. No, you find me in um, on the coast for the day, so every now and then you've got to escape the relentless summer heat that is central Otago in December. So it's nice to be in cooler climes today. How long have you been in Cromwell? Um, I've had the fortune to have um, a, a place up there for about the past 10, 11 years and have only recently determined to make it my permanent home. Some may argue why it took me that long <laughs> to figure out how that was a good idea. But um, but yes, it's a, it's a good place to live. It's a good place to be, a fabulous community. And two and a half hours in the car really isn't that far to get down and get a bit of a city break in Dunedin. So asking about bubble life, of course now that's gotten complicated um, with the multiple bubbles. But if you just go back to the start and ask about the first bubble life and then the second bubble life and then whatever now is... So how was bubble life last year? Well, bubble life for us, because um, ironically, we had probably planned to, if if we did go into a a lockdown or whatever we imagined that might be pre our first lockdown, because obviously that was speculative in nature at that point. Uh, We thought we'd probably be in central Otago, but um, I'd actually rescued my son out of central Europe and two of his travelling companions um, the week before we went into lockdown. So they were self-isolating in Cromwell and we spent um, um, time in a rather small apartment in Dunedin. Um, but that was magical. And it was magical because the city, whilst it went to sleep, came alive. Uh, we spent long days walking through the town belt. And, um, you know, the places where, you know, particularly in Dunedin, we have such a, a heritage um, of heritage. Um, and walking around the stately homes, um, along the town belt was, was quite, um, it was just wonderful. And we, we, were, we were blessed with some really good, uh, you know, Indian summer days initially. So um, Dunedin sort of took on a new, new realm for us, I think, at that time. It certainly was interesting that realising that we could appreciate the places where we live. This is right. Walking around the, the harbour with, without the incessant noise of industry and sort of having a, a quiet earth moment, sort of expecting Bruno Lawrence to sort of appear out of nowhere. Um, it, you know, it sort of had that sort of end of the world kind of feel, but um, you know, you could actually hear the waves lapping from our apartment and, 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 and birds crowing and things like this as well, So even though we were right in the middle of the city. And you were working from home? Yes. So we, uh, 
managed to maintain um, some separation of space for work to, con- uh, to, to happen and then also for living to occur and never the twain should meet. <laughs> Did you pull that off? I, indeed, indeed. I'm actually a firm believer that if you are working from home, you, know, work, you need to maintain a work-life balance, which means a work-life separation. So you have a workspace and you have a living space and they should not be in your bedroom or in your lounge. I appreciate that good burgers in Auckland um, may not be all able to um, uh, to contain that, when, particularly when there are small children uh, around. So um, I understand and feel their pain, but fortunately that's not our circumstance. You said you rescued your son who had just come back from, he was from in, Europe. He was in uh, Croatia at the time and split, and, um, and literally he had to split. Um, so we borders were closing um, he, he had sort of stayed one step ahead of the pandemic as it worked its way through northern, northern Italy um, but they managed to get as far as that then the Greek border closed all their accommodation started to cancel and they had an interesting and curious experience in a supermarket where perhaps it was uh, they, they were they were advised by locals that they probably should go home now so we um, we'll make a movie out of it uh, one day but it's sort of um, you know last plane out of Zagreb so we managed to get him home and, and um, really thankful for uh, the, the support of travel agents who have been doing it tough. Um, but certainly um, the, the, uh, the benefit that working with a travel agent to actually get, um, get, get them home when, um, when cancellations of flights were occurring. So, so yes, I do recommend using one. So your job has changed slightly in the last year. It's still in the industry community consultation space but you're working now for work based college of workplace learning yes. what were you doing last year so essentially um, working with edubits and micro credentials was sort of the dominant theme and invariably that brought us into contact with a range of um, uh, employers industry associations and groups and looking for um, i guess innovative ways in which the current education system was not suiting their needs and what could we do as an education provider to do that so um, OP took a, took a decision to review its strategy around uh, edubits in light of Te Pukinga, our, um, obviously review of vocational education, and then also to the, uh, the I guess, the, the viability of maintaining a specialist team around that. So we've looked to sort of adopt a business as usual with, uh, with approach with regard to uh, production of micro-credentials, but also looking at, you know, what really does work? What are the things that people are actually going to do and value in the current environment? And I think um, micro-credentials, we could, I could spend and bore your listeners for <laughs> hours on this, um, but I think it's, it's time isn't quite yet, um, and particularly the, the nature of the approach that we took, um, but, um, which is to, to look at the credentialing aspect of credentialing and, and greater focus uh, than the learning and upskilling element. Um, but I think um, um, their time will come, and, um, and obviously it's, it's exciting with the, the, the nature of change within the sector to actually achieve some of those outcomes that you know, we found industry and learners were looking for. Let's take the first of your music choices. Let's have Crowded House. Why this one? Distant Sun is um, potentially um, my favourite song. I think Neil Finn is a musical genius. Um, it does appeal to my middle class sensibilities, I guess. So I'll, I'm prepared to take the brickbats on that. But I think Neil Finn is a wonderful musician. Anyway, wrote her a really beautiful song. Did you go and see them in the vineyard last year? Um, I saw them actually in the town hall. It rocked. And, uh, you know, we were in the mosh pit downstairs. Um, and, um, you know, they, they sort of fall into the, maybe a, an unfair genre of easy listening these days. And I think uh, when you're listening to a Finn brother, you know, sort of a rock, uh, when they do get the chance to rock it out, they do 
around and spin my talk Time and again, time and again in the community about innovative ways and that current education's not meeting needs. We'll talk more broadly about what that might be, but did the pandemic bring up anything about how we could rethink education from that industry perspective? Oh, absolutely. You know, and I think um, um, you know better than I as a, as a practitioner and, and, a, and a facilitator in that, in that space looking after learners when we are robbed of the ability to do that in person. Um, has really brought into alternative uh, modes of delivery into focus. But I think some of the work that we've done, as I mentioned before, was looking at the credentialing aspect of micro-credentialing or, the, or of, of learning generally and moving 
away from an institution-centric um, focus on delivery of education to the recognition of skills, the validation of skills, and a sense of reliance uh, for industry and learners to ensure that people are right-sized um, in their, um, in their uh, learning and capability, their knowledge and skill development um, for, for an ever-changing world. And, you know, there's multiple factors at play here which actually make this really a really interesting process to be in. You know, so demanding that learners go to an institution for a set period of time at set times does not suit learners and certainly doesn't suit industry. Uh, providing more flexible access to that just-in-time upskill or that validation is what's required. Trying to get the package right where everyone understands and values um, is, is where, the, where the development, the maturity needs to come. And that will only take time. That ever-changing world that you're talking about, we've heard it described as no, VUCA, a volatile, uncertain, complex, and something else, uh, ambiguous. <laughs> In terms of the how it's affected businesses and their relationship with, I was going to say education, but it's not really education. It's more about the professional development of their of the workforce. Mm. Has has it changed how they're thinking about the relationships between work and education, work and professional development? I think it's changing thinking, but is it changing action in terms of the way in which institutions are delivering and the way in which organisations are um, recognising the kind of skills? So we have, I think, a good conversation around. You know, it would be great if we could, um, you know, recognise a person's prior learning um, and embed that within. A um, you know a number of specific up skills that are required, and then validate that around. People say that's fantastic, but that might actually require some innovative approaches, which may or may not have uh, regulatory approval or the like. Um, then I think people default back to well, actually, if the New Zealand Qualifications Authority hasn't rubber stamped this whole thing, therefore I'm not interested because I'm not confident in trusting that. So there's that. That sort of flavour of mixture of of um, of um, the type of qualifications and the type of recognition we put in place that I think that needs to happen, but is is slow in coming because people, quite rightly, are wary of an innovation that's not yet proven. So there's a chicken and egg sort of scenario. People are demanding change. We require change. Our whole sector is undergoing change um, as a response to these 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 factors how we then give industry and learners the confidence to trust these new approaches is the challenge, I think, that's in front of us. The current government, when they were in opposition, started working on the future of work. They had a big programme on what that might look like, and that's transformed. I think it's changed its names a couple of times and come back to future of work. And there's the development of the industry transformation plans. What do you see as the, the future of work? Well... I think let's let's go back to the thing that we're interested in, which is how do we uh, ready people for the future of work? You know, we're both in education, and I think the the key element around that is is to shy away from um, you know what we might refer to as taught competencies or, or or job related skills, because the nature of work is changing, you know, on a, on a rapidly expanding um, you know, scale of change, um, or, or certainly its um, its trajectory. So shy away from that to what are the broader skills that we recognise and value you know and obviously in, at Otago Polytechnic we refer to them as capabilities and how do we recognise those validate those so that 
learners can recognise and value and emphasise that they have them or need develop to develop them, and employers, the consumers of credentials, can recognise them. So, and you know that that runs the risk of of getting into woolly territory, if you will, in terms of you know um, what what how do we measure resilience? How do we measure um, a person's um, you know ability to communicate or show empathy or whatever the uh, the capability we choose to 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 look at? But I think there are evolving uh, practices and approaches to this, which are uh, need to be central to a, a, a more uh, transparent partnership between community and employers, the learner and the institutions that ultimately issue the credentials um, to actually recognise that. I think it's a really exciting space to be in and um, I urge um, people to watch this space because there's some good stuff that will come out of this. Has the pandemic prompted any sort of rethinking about the the perhaps the priorities of those, those capabilities? I mean, we might suppose that a capability about being comfortable with uncertainty might become more important are you seeing that in discussions with employers no i think i think the 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 requirement to look at capabilities as opposed to say competencies is is as part of a long curve this has always been the case you know you ask an employer um you know in general terms what do you want from an employee and they will say in very general terms i want them to turn up listen and follow instruction Right, and then everything else they need to do here, I'm going to teach them. I'm being very generic for, um, um, you know, a non-specific. But I think what it's done is, is actually it's challenged the status quo. Um, wh- how do we teach, and what do we teach, and when do we teach has been um, has been totally um, turned upside down by COVID, and so um, programs have had to completely re-engineer themselves. So what it's shown is is that whilst that may not be, we didn't probably land in a lot of cases in places that was advantageous to learners and to industry in terms of the nature of delivery. But COVID forced these situations upon us. What it's done for us is that it's taken the sacred cow element away from some of the conversations. And we can actually have a look at this and say, well, look, we're not not wedded to these long-standing principles. And I think it's actually probably a sometimes justified criticism of academia that it weds itself to um, to these positions that and becomes an, 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 an intransigent for for reasons which sort of defy logic and you know don't add value for learners and, and employers alike. So I think it, as opposed to accelerating the say the the transition from taught competency to capability, um, what it's done is challenge that we don't have to do that everything as we've done it before. There are different ways we can do this. So therefore, why not this? Do you think that there's going to be any long-term impact on people's careers of the changes? And I'm thinking about the young people that are sort of like graduating now or studying now or or, uh, your your son was overseas, Mm. was he on some sort of OE? Yes. Those sorts of things getting truncated. You know, my son would probably be kayak guiding in Norway by now. Mm. This is changing how they're thinking about their careers, their whole trajectories. Do you think how do, how do you think that's going to last or, or impact how it will have? Well, again, I think it's an acceleration and potentially a bit of a, a spotlight on um, some of the things that we we hold as truisms, which may not be. And I think the um, I think this generation, in particular, too. You know, you and I might have been wedded to the concept of a forty-five odd year career um, with an employer, and we probably grew up in households where that was seen to be. Um, the birthright of um, of people in the family, and this is what what transpired to success. 
and in a you know, capitalist sort of context that was deemed to be the basis of the capitalist economy. I think young people now are not wedded to those concepts because their reality is, you know, whether it's the gig economy, whether it's the rapid transformation of technology within an industry that outdates a job, you know, they're used to transition and change far more readily than we are. It becomes, um, I guess, a little more um, um, naturally to them. So there's an, I think, I think, I don't know if COVID has necessarily changed um, the long-term perception of work. What it's done, I think, very rapidly is take out the concept of the workplace as being essential. And, um, and obviously the work from home methodology that um, in some industries, you know, there's obviously will be some good, robust research over time as, as to the impact of productivity on productivity of, of home-based work on mental health and well-being. I'm sure there's a lot of Aucklanders today who are very happy to, um, you know, be, be, be escaping the city and have done, um, you know, potentially escaped working from home for a period of time in a mandated context. But we are seeing evidence already of, of not a complete return to the office. Um, certainly your corporates that I'm aware of, particularly the big banks and, um, and some of, um, you know, the large consulting firms actually being very reluctant to welcome people back to the workplace until they can be absolutely sure there is not an ongoing liability or, or, or cost upon the business to do so in terms of the level of risk that COVID's presenting. So I think there's challenging, for reasons that don't necessarily point to an evolution of change um, and an acceleration of, um, of the type of work, but I think to a pragmatic response is forcing um, uh, the continuation of, of these issues and also you know, um, some organisations are looking at it and saying, well, why do we need, need to maintain a glass tower in Queen Street? Um, it is far more cost-effective to have a, a more blended approach. Bubble Sprite of the Forest of Orokanui, Dunedin's favourite goddess, Tahu Mackenzie. Kia ora koutou, nā mahi rohanau, kia koutou, ko I hope you're all having the best day, beautiful superstars, and your beloved universes. I really hope, wherever you are, whatever's happening around you, this journey that we're all on together is proving to be very rewarding, very sustaining and illuminating for you more and more each day. Who you are, a triumph of nature's art, perfect, unique and here, making things better. Thank you. Now I know that for all of us, for the last nearly two years, we have been having to adapt to so much changing and shifting around us. So much of what we how dear and took for granted in many ways has gone from our lives on a day-to-day basis and we can look back fondly of all these things but also we can look forward to a new future that we can enjoy even though things have changed more and more as we normalize our new safety practices and precautions we can have a sense of that normality returning as much as some things are new. To be able to go out and socialize, to be able to go out and enjoy food together, to be able to go out and enjoy movies and music and dancing and all these things that we love as a species, to be able to entertain ourselves, to be able to express our love and our appreciation for each other in so many different ways and to be able to explore a world bigger than our homes. All of these are such precious privileges that, of course, we long to be able to enjoy. 
in a way that we have grown accustomed to but now we can enjoy again here in Otiporti Stuneden. As you'll know I fell down a, a hole in my garage and I'm having to deal with limping around on my leg which has now turned a very dark shade of purple which is very exciting and is slowly turning into perhaps a shade of yellow. This is what has been predicted by the lovely nurse at my doctor's surgery. And I had my tetanus shot and also diphtheria and whooping cough and something or other cellulitis was all included in this in this one vaccination and this one shot that I haven't had since I was a small girl. And of course I marvel at all of these technologies that we've developed, all these safety measures we've put in place to protect ourselves and each other. All of these ways that we have sought to understand the processes of life around us, the processes of pathology, so that we can protect each other and care for each other. And of course we find ourselves in the midst of this now, in the face of so many different viewpoints and ideologies, so many different perspectives on what is taking place. It's so important that we acknowledge that over time we've had to learn over and over again to follow what we know is going to keep us safe and what is going to keep us alive. I know that for all of us this is such an intense time and for many of us it is, it is meaning that we are away from those we love my mum on the other side of the world and many people having shifts and changes in their personal relationships including myself and in our workplaces in our daily environments people are having to come and go based on doing what they feel is right for them so I really hope for you at this tricky time you can acknowledge how well you are doing you can acknowledge your own sense of the power of all of the work of our ancestors that has gone into creating these safety measures for us all, that has kept our ancestors alive, that has allowed us to be the arrowhead moving forward faster and faster into a bright future where we can all be safe together and enjoy the kind of lives we deserve and our descendants deserve also and I look forward to talking to you again soon thanks so much Kakite. you're listening to Blowing Bubbles I'm talking with Andy Kilsby Andy we've seen lots of change in society over the last couple of years what do you think is going to stick and perhaps more importantly what do you hope will stick I hope well I'll start with a negative and maybe finish with a positive. Um, the, the, the divisive nature of society or the divisions within society are being accentuated. And, I, and um, if you subscribe to um, conspiracy theories around this, it, it would seem to indicate there are dark forces at play. And I think that's immensely concerning that we, we tend to other ourselves as opposed to um, reflect our our. our similarities and, and commonalities within a community and within society. So I'm hoping that it seems, you know, New Zealand's always been five to ten years behind the curve um, on most things globally. 
and it seemed that we were you know we way around this but obviously the anti-vax to vax uh, debate is is driving a, a wedge i think into our society that we just don't need and so um so i i trade off then with with some of the initial sort of i guess public messaging around this in terms of being kind and i think that um that's something that has become a bit of a cliche and an overused term and maybe used in a derisive um, um, critical way now. Um, but I think actually we need to look, look, look back and see about the intent. We needed to stick together to actually make this thing work when we responded to COVID initially. And I think as we respond to post-COVID and its various elements, again, being kind around a situation is what we need to do. We're facing, I think, you know, particularly too, with if we're looking at the vaccination debate, some fairly hefty moral um, issues around this, and some challenges to um, citizens' rights, etc., that um, um, need to take an approach of understanding from both sides. But I think at the moment we are heading down a path which is anything but. So I urge us all to be kind, to take into, I guess, account the other's perspective. Um, it is okay to disagree. And actually, finding a mutually uh, a mutual place where both can stand is what we need to still aspire to. What's your plan for the summer? Um, it is it involves um, cherries and apricots and um, central Otago. I'm fortunate that there is a, a few of those that um, grow in my backyard. Um, catching up with friends and family, um, spending some time reflecting on what has been a challenging uh, year and um, preparing oneself for a year that doesn't look any less challenging, but the opportunities will present themselves. I think one of the things that we appreciated during the, the first stages of the pandemic was not the certainty that the businesses wanted about this is going to happen on this particular date, but certainty in terms of that, that sort of be kind message, the focus was on well-being and we had this, the structure that was looking after us. And I think a lot of the uncomfortable feelings that we have now is the shift away from that to this, we're uncertain mm. about how the traffic light system is going to work. We're not quite sure. Exactly. And um, for reasons, you know, I, I think... When, when you start to look for consistency in a rapidly evolving situation, we have new variants which, on one hand, look incredibly scary. On another hand, actually look like they, if you take um, um, you know some an analysis to date, and obviously the jury's out, not yet out in terms of the, um, you know, whether Omicron is going to be a, a saviour or, or, or a further vexation. Um, yeah, I think I think there's. Um, there's just massive uncertainty, and then therefore that leads to inconsistency. And people get grumpy when they don't have a consistent direction of where we're going, and that's human nature. So I think it's really about recognising that. You know, It is uncertain. We, we do have the right and we should uh, critique our leadership and our elected officials, um, but do that in a way which is constructive, um, not just um, destructive. And I think there is an element of, of factionalisation that's coming in um, that I think is of concern because we've seen it elsewhere and it hasn't done places like America and, and um, even Australia any good. So um, we're better than this. The theme of this show is positive but not diluted. 
what does that mean for you in terms of maintaining a positive mindset in this time of uncertainty and in this time of, of, of global disruption? I think you've got to keep it real. And um, we were actually reflecting on this over the weekend, you know, that um, ultimately there's very little that you can directly influence and control. And it's being cognizant of that and recognizing that. And the positions you may find yourself in are potentially unexpected. Um, They may not be what you planned or wanted. But how much control did you have over that? And um, if you had done, literally done your best, and you had um, acted when you should, then move on. You know, the, the, the more you cycle over this, the harder it's going to get. And I think that... Um, like I say, you know, 2021 has been a challenging year. It's been challenging for me. It's been challenging for pretty much every person I know. And I don't think 2022 looks any different in terms of the level of uncertainty that, that, that provides those challenges. So you've got to just take stock of that. Um, and I think rose-coloured glasses don't necessarily allow you to see clearer but understanding what you can or can't control is, is, is really critical to maintain good mental health and well-being. Have you seen positive community things? I mean, we've, we've seen lots of positive community things at a very local level, people talking about, I don't know, setting up a cherry-sharing scheme for their, their suburb or something. And we've talked a bit about sort of the government-type response, but have you seen initiatives that you're thinking yeah they've nailed it they're kind of like between those that sort of mm, I'm I probably I'm struggling to pull one out of the out of the out of my head um, so I think maybe there's some work to be done there and I think too I think that this is the beautiful nature of technology and of you know this wonderful evolving world that we we now live in you don't have to invest a lot and you don't have to um, also, you know, things wear out quickly, but because they're digital in effect, you know, there's, I guess, an arguable sustainability um, advantage in that, um, although we can probably have a good debate around that, um, um, whether or not that's the case. But I think if we allow for, and, and I guess believe in the creativity of those people who are more engaged in that endeavour, to recognise um some changes that could be easily affected by, you know, technology, then I think there's real opportunity to build on some of those desires of individuals and community to, you know, um, create a better place. And all of a sudden, some of those things can come together. I think that's one of the things that we need to realise is that whilst, um, you know, self-isolation, lockdown, it doesn't exactly, um, you know, evoke... Um, community and strength it's it's a bunker mentality right and I think that we emerge from that anything but um, because through our Zoom calls with our whānau and our friends and our family um, through you know endless online conferencing we're more connected than we have been previously and it's something that I think that whilst I'm not a big fan of social media it has its place in terms of providing that hyper connection that, um, that is a far different world from you know I was fortunate um, in 1990, I was an AFS student to the USA, and the only contact I had back to New Zealand was, um, you know, the once-a-month phone call I was allowed that, you know, didn't ensure a mortgage was incurred by either household. 
and um, those bold out blue aerograms, you know, where you've got the, if you wrote in, in smaller than eight font, you managed to, you know, get a month's worth of activities in. That was my sole connection to the rest of the world. I still have no idea who won the third test of the 1990 <laughs> All Blacks Wallabies series because, um, um, you know, it was the game that was that I couldn't find in any American media at that point in time. So now we live in a world where everything, I watch the NFL, watch the Green Bay Packers every week. Um, and I can. It's 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 easy for me to, to a- access that content and remain connected to those communities that are so distant. So long way, um, you know, yet again, a, a short story long. Um, I think, yeah, that let's trust that good things can come in some of those innovations and, um, and, and technological advances that help us be a better community and look after each other. Let's take the second of your music choices. Let's have Marian Clancy, Pennsylvania. Why this one? This is a song I only discovered last week. Um, so going from an oldie to a newie, but... A, it's it's just a beautiful song. Um, B, it's it's a state in America, and as I obviously segued nicely into, that's a place where I used to live. I'm yet to hear a good song about Wisconsin, but um, um, well, the violet themes apart, um, of course. But um, um, yeah, if, if someone can actually um, um, beam in a song that's as good as this one about a state in America, I'm all ears. Oh, 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 
to end the show with. What is the biggest success you've had in the last couple of years? Um, I think my son. Um, he's um, emerged from a troubling um, last few years and he is now um, um, transitioning from being a student to full-time work. He's managed to um, grab his dream job working in Wellington as a policy advisor. So um, I think um, I'm, whilst th- those are just manifestations of the person, I'm just immensely proud of the uh, beautiful young man that he's become. What area of policy? Uh, he's working um, at environmental policy oh, cool. um, at uh, Wakakotahi. Uh, so we're writing a book of these conversations. It's called Tomorrow's Heroes. It's our team of people doing good work. So you are in that team. What's the superpower that got you into the mansion? <laughs> well, I'm delighted to be invited, Sam. Um, I don't know. I'm, I think, a relational person. I enjoy dealing with people. Um, I think I'm good with people. So whilst I don't have... I'm, I think I'm a T-shaped person, which apparently is immensely employable these days. So there's a positive. Um, but um, you know, I don't have a, um, a necessarily a deep technical appreciation in any field. But um, because I have good people skills, um, that means um, I enjoy working with people to get great results um, for the organisations, communities, individuals that, uh, that we need to look after. Do you consider yourself to be an activist? No. Um, I'm more an accrual person. I'm an evolution, not revolution kind of person because I think that's sustainable. Um, every now and then we'd need people to grab our attention and potentially to change course. But um, I, I think that a stable society that provides us with security is, um, is, is far um, more advantageous than one that constantly changes. So what motivates you? What gets you out of bed in the morning? People. Um, looking after people, making sure that um, the things I'm doing um, are helping them get to the places they need to go. Can you t- How do you tell when you've got there? You can't. That's the thrill. You often find out. Um, I used to obviously work for the Malcam Trust, and um, I think it was probably, um, and for the team up there, my, my infinite respect and gratitude for the work they do as youth workers. Um, I was merely, merely the guy who ensured the bills got paid. But um, um, what astounded me about the work was it was you never really saw the, the true benefit of the work that they put in until sometimes later on when the, when the change that they'd helped to manifest um, became apparent. So what's the biggest challenge or opportunity that you're looking forward to in the next year or so? Uh, I'm looking forward to obviously the change in our sector becoming a little clearer and, um, and I guess some, uh, some of the, the key in, in institutional constructs started to take shape. So I think from a, um, from a vocational education perspective, understanding where we can start to really move forward because I just have this horrible feeling we're a little bit hamstrung at the moment. Um, but that's going to be a temporary thing. So the challenge of being able to engage positively and to, to, to move with a little more velocity in some areas will be, will be appreciated. If you, could make, uh, if you could wave a magic wand and have a miracle occur, what would you have happen? That's not a question that's normally on this list. I just added it. Well, <laughs> um, really good question. 
I just, I, I, we have a special country and we have a special place in the world. And whilst we can't be sort of sit on our laurels around this, I would love to major, make a wa- wave a magic wand and ensure that this kind of divisive global culture doesn't permeate here. And in fact, we can actually show that taking a different approach, a more considerate approach, and one that reflects our community's values, I think if we could do that, that would be pretty cool. What could we do to encourage that, do you think? I think just staying true to who we are. So getting away from uh, partisan issues and partisanship and starting to look more pragmatically at solutions that benefit all. And lastly, do you have any advice for our listeners? Um, I know of you, well, I'm overusing the word be kind, but um, you know, just go out, look after yourselves and look after, look after your people. Andy, thank you very much for joining Hello me. Hello there. Thank you, Sam. This is the 12th day of Christmas song in Hawaii. Number one day of Christmas, my tutu give to me one minor bird in one papaya tree. Number two day of Christmas, my tutu give to me two coconut and one minor bird in one papaya tree. Number three day of Christmas, my tutu give to me we have a contribution today from Tahu Mackenzie. This is... This is Hawaii Calls, number one day of Christmas. I'm Samuel Mann at Otago Polytechnic in Dunedin, and I have been joined by Andy Kilsby. That was Blowing Bubbles. We hope you enjoyed the show. Four flower leaves, three dry squid, two coconut, and one minor bird and one papaya tree. Number seven day of Christmas, my tutu give to me. Seven shrimps are swimming, six hula lessons, five big fat pigs. Four flower lays, three dry squid, two coconuts. And one minor bird and one papaya tree. Number eight day of Christmas, my tutu give to me. Eight ukulele, seven shrimps are swimming, six hula lessons, five big fat pigs. Four flower lays, three dry squid. Two coconut And one minor bird and one papaya tree Number nine day of Christmas my tutu give to me Nine pounds of poi, eight ukulele, seven shrimps of swimming Six hula lessons, five big fat pigs Four flower lays, three dry squid, two coconut And one minor bird and one papaya tree Number ten, day of Christmas, my tutu give to me Ten cans of beer, nine pounds of poi, eight ukulele, seven shrimps of swimming, six hula lessons, five big fat pigs, four flower lays, three dry squid, two coconut, and one minor bird and one papaya tree. Number eleven, day of Christmas, my tutu give to me 
eleven missionaries. Ten cans of beer, nine pounds of poi, eight ukuleles, seven shrimps of swimming, six full of lessons, five big fat pigs, four flower lays, three dry squid, two coconut, and one minor bird and one papaya tree. Number twelve day of Christmas was the best, and the best always comes last. Number twelve day of Christmas, my two to give to me. Twelve television, eleven missionaries. This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.